0: Hey lovelies, before we get started, I want to remind you of all of the different ways you can get your hands on one of my designs. Impact Fashion is a line of size-inclusive, modest clothing available in sizes 2 through 24. I personally design and pattern every single piece in the collection so that it is fitted to perfection and every single piece runs the same. That means that once you know your size, that is your size in every single piece in the collection. Pretty cool. No, you can shop the collection online at impactfashionnyc.com. Shipping is totally free in the U.S. and the return policy is, if I do say so myself, amazing. You have 30 days to make a decision and don't even have to pay return shipping or any sort of annoying restocking fee or anything like that. Impact Fashion can also be found at the address at American Dream Mall. The address is a curated, modest department store and definitely worth a visit if you are not an online shopping type of person. The American Dream Mall is located right next to the Meadowland Sports Complex in New Jersey. And to get to the address, you're going to want to park in Lot C, Level 3. Make a left when you walk in and you'll see the address on your right. I'm always happy to chat, whether that's to answer your sizing questions or just to get to know each other better. Find me on Instagram at impact.fashion.nyc or on WhatsApp status at 516 953 9391. You can also email me. It's Rifki, Rivky, R I V K Y, at impactfashionnyc.com. Enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Ritki Yitzkowitz and on today's show, I sit down with a member of the Arizona House of Representatives to discuss her work. She shares what led her to convert to Judaism in high school, her experiences with anti-Semitism and death threats, including a run-in with David Duke, and some of the obstacles she faced while working to mandate Holocaust education. When I think about politics, my brain immediately goes to DC. I'm thinking of big national figures and big national issues. But the truth is, our local governments affect our day-to-day lives much more, and we often forget that politicians are people too. I sat down with Representative Alma Hernandez of the Arizona State Legislature to discuss some of the issues she's worked on and how she got here. To start off, I would love if you could tell me what you were like as a little kid.
1: Yeah. So I, I actually was talking to my mom about this recently and we have a lot of notes from the schools saying that I talked a lot and I still <laughs> very much talk a lot. Um, I was someone who, you know, was, I wouldn't say troublemaker, but I was always trying to, you know, if my parents said no, I'm like, okay, but why, And you know, I always trying to find something to do. And I was very adventurous and I still very much am, uh, but definitely talkative. Um, and I, in my opinion very loving and caring about everyone so sometimes probably too much <laughs> getting involved in things that i probably shouldn't have <laughs> but yes i was always always doing something i was always up to something as a kid i i i
0: that does that's like the best kind of good trouble to be in i think
1: yeah <laughs> probably sounds... good trouble yes yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> i know that when you were in high school you um converted to Judaism. And I would love to hear, like, how did that, how did that happen? How did that, you know, yeah, as, as someone who grew up Jewish, I'm always fascinated as to like how people find us. So uh, I'd love yeah. to hear more about that story. <laughs> tell, tell me about how that came about.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely happy to share that story. So my mom is from Mexico um, and my mom's family, they, my grandfather, they were Mexican Jews. Um, they grew up in a small town in Mexico um, called Cananea. Um, And my mom comes from a family of 14 brothers and sisters. So it's a very big family. Um, But at that time, the community, you know, being Jewish wasn't really something that was widely accepted and really known. Uh, So my grandfather's family, they actually converted to Catholicism. And they changed their last name. So they went from being Cohen's to Quiñones. So my mother's last name is Quiñones. Um, and, you know, growing up, we always, our parents are always very supportive. There's three of us. It's myself, my sister, I'm the baby. Then it's my sister who's a middle child and my brother who's the eldest. And our parents kind of just let us really explore and do everything we always wanted. They still very much support us as well. And it was, I would say, our, my freshman year in high school Um, We got very involved in the pro-Israel world, uh, doing a lot of advocacy with APAC. That's kind of how we started um, on political uh, pro-Israel work. And then really, I just, you know, knowing the background of the history of the family, I always felt more connected to Judaism than I did to anything else. Uh, My father is Catholic, and um, he didn't grow up religious. He was raised by his grandparents. So it's kind of funny because we all do everything as a family together. So my father... Goes to services with us and he'll go to literally all the holidays and festivals and everything so we're very close as a family and it was my sophomore year in high school I told my parents I had a lot of friends in politics that were Jewish at the time and still do um and my parents really you know were very supportive when I talked to them and I said you know I'd really like to go to synagogue and they were like okay my mom obviously was kind of emotional about it just because she knew the history in the background um and you know we ended up going to we found a small synagogue here in town my sister and I are actually both on the board now um and we just felt very connected and it felt like home we never didn't I guess we never felt that we weren't a part of the community if that makes any sense um so what I always tell people is like you know I feel that I really just came back to my roots um and came back to my community um But again, I've never felt like I was not a part of the community. So I just, I kind of just, it kind of just fell into place. Um, And I started, you know, going to services. I started going and learning about a lot because obviously I didn't know everything and I still don't. Um, It's, it's definitely a learning experience. Nobody does. Nobody knows all the little pieces. (laughs) And it's definitely a journey. Um, But it's really a big part of my life. And I think for those that do follow me or, or getting to know me a little bit, know that, you know, being Jewish and my love and support of Israel is something that literally defines who I am. And I'm really proud of that. And I'm just really thankful that my family, you know, we do everything as a family together and that they support me and everything that I do. Um, my sister did as well, just so you know. Um, so I, as a family, we've just always have been so, you know, connected and Um, it's, it's, it's been a great journey and a great experience. And I know that I want to be able to raise my children, um, in a Jewish household and really have that background and that and that knowledge growing up, and you know, I was still young when I when I started all of this, and I still am kind of young, I, I would say. But I, I would say would be kind nice. of young. <laughs> I I turned thirty this year, and I'm about ready to retire from politics. It feels like, but <laughs> but it, it's definitely you know like it's, it's been a journey, and I love it, and it's a big part of my life, and I'm very proud of it.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned that you had already been involved in like politics and pro-Israel activism before that happened. So, no. you know, uh, you you were I'm assuming like living like your family is, was in Arizona. You were born there and that. Yeah. yeah. So how does that happen? Happens. Like, how does a girl in high school in Arizona start <laughs> like fighting for Israel?
1: Yeah. So, so, and just so you know, we already knew the background of the family before then. um, Okay. So you
0: still, so you had that connection, but still. Yeah, there was a
1: connection. It just, I hadn't gone through, the, you know, a formal process or anything. So um, my brother actually brought me to an event at the JCC. um, And my brother has been involved in politics since I could remember. He was in high school too. He was three years older. And he kind of just said, Hey, do you want to come with me to some event? And I'm like, sure. What is it? He's like, Oh, it's gonna be an event, you're gonna be fed, you're gonna like it, whatever. So we went, and it was my first experience and kind of introduction to APAC and the pro-Israel world. And I remember leaving that event thinking a country so small having to constantly defend itself, right? Like, how is that even possible? So that's me being, you know, very, very young in high school, a freshman in high school, trying to understand we even had to have that why there's even an organization at that point i'm like why is there why is this even a thing like why do people not like israel <laughs> and that's kind of how it started when i was very young and very naive about everything and um yeah so i i went to that event i fell in love with the organization i became the the i got very involved i still am very involved in pro-israel in the pro-israel work and advocacy uh, but it all started because my brother took me to an event when I was in high school.
0: And he is also super political. And I'm pretty sure that you three, I- I'm skipping ahead, no. but you no. are you are the first siblings to all be in the Arizona House of Representatives, right?
1: Yeah, I feel bad for my parents sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's a lot. Coming from a very political family, it's... Um, you know, I'm really proud that my, my brother kind of paved the way for us, um, to be quite honest. He, he's, he's the reason we got involved, and he's the reason that we remain involved, um, and yeah, he ran for office when he was 21 for a school board, and then um, it kind of was, you know, history from there. Then I ran, and then now my sister ran, and uh, we're all in politics, and we love what we do, and we still very much try to do things that we enjoy and that keep us sane. So, me and my sister actually run Moisha House here in Tucson. We try to bring young Jewish professionals together and we host events. How I have the time, I don't know. <laughs> or how we have the time, I have no idea because I'm back in school full time as a law student and I am in the legislature for full time and traveling and living between two cities. And I still somehow find a way to bring young Jewish professionals together here in my city. And it's it's definitely a challenge, but it's a big, again, it's a big part of who I am in my life. So I try my best here.
0: Yeah, everyone's just got to So you, you just have to like carve out time for the things that kind of fill your cup in that way. And yeah. <laughs> and if that's what it does, then then that's what it does. And who needs sleep? It's overrated. Right. Correct. You, <laughs> you have been in politics for a couple of years now. You were elected in 2018, right? Yes. So I'm curious what your viewpoint is on politics in general, especially as a young woman in the system, kind of, of seeing how things go on and like backroom negotiations and all of these kind of um, what do they call them, like old boys clubs and how oh, yeah. <laughs> and what your experience has been with with that type of culture.
1: Yeah, the old boys club is definitely a thing um, and it continues to be. And quite honestly, I hope that there's a day at least when I'm alive, that we can see that women are also included in a lot of these conversations and that we're taking seriously when it comes to the political world. I still think there's a lot of room for improvement and a lot of work for us to do. Um, I got involved in politics when I was 14, um, like actually actively volunteering for the party, working on different campaigns and doing all of that great stuff. Um, I forgot to mention there's one important thing about me is I'm the chair of the Bipartisan Caucus. So I literally work with everyone. Um, Can you explain what that means for
0: someone who might not know or like be familiar with with how a a government system works?
1: For sure. So obviously in the US, we're built on a two-party system. We have Democrats and then we have Republicans. And then we have those people who I'd like to say are pragmatic, who really don't care what party affiliation you have, um, as long as we can come together and work together. And that's kind of how I was raised in a way of, never judge people based on you know what their party affiliation is or what they say out in public because that sometimes doesn't always align with who they are as human as humans and i got involved like i said very young and i came in as like an activist and really wanting to understand and be like the voice for my party and i realized that there's so much more we can accomplish when you work with people even if you don't always agree And that's kind of how I've taken it. You know, I've been the chair of the Bipartisan Caucus now for four years. Um, I will say that I credit my pro-Israel advocacy in allowing me and being able to understand this space and this world of bipartisanship. Because when two parties are just hating each other and not getting anything done, that's counterproductive and it's not good for anyone. Um, It it all happens when people come together from different ideologies, come together and find common ground and solutions on issues that they care about. So things that I've been able to work in a bipartisan way have been, um, bringing mandatory Holocaust education to Arizona. That was a huge one. It took us about three years and we finally got it done. Um, also defining anti-Semitism and state statute. That was a big one as well. Uh, there's just been a lot of different things I've worked on over the years that really have been bipartisan and that's really important to me. So, I host a lot of the socials at the Capitol to bring people together. And it for me, it's just a really big part of what I do. And it really, I believe it defines me. It, it defines who I am as a person, right? Like I don't care about people's politics and policy. Like I, I just do not care. I don't get involved in all the political drama. I'm very fair and I'm willing to work with anyone as long as there's mutual respect. And that's kind of been my philosophy. And I think that's really what has helped me be successful in politics. Um, I learned very early on, and a lot of people my age that are younger, you know, a lot of the activists, I tell them all the time, like, I came in as an activist, like, I totally get it, you want everything, you, you, you want it your way or the highway, and it took me some time to realize that that's not effective, and we need to, we need to be better for our own communities, and really just, in general, it, it's so much better, it's such a healthier work environment, when you're able to treat people with respect and as human, so.
0: Right, I mean, that's also, the, I have a, a life rule that people who listen to the podcast regularly have already heard, and that boils down to don't be a butthead. And it <laughs> yeah, and literally. that's pretty much, that's, that's basically what you're saying. You know, if we can find common ground, then we can work together to accomplish things. And some of the things that you mentioned are so fascinating to me because they almost seem like things that we shouldn't need to say or to fight for. And yet, <laughs> Common these were things, right, like, these are things <laughs> yeah. that you had to that you had to work on. And, I, and I'd love to talk about these two issues, the the mandatory Holocaust education that you mm-hmm. um, that was a bill that you passed. And it made Arizona only the 16th state to mm-hmm. make Holocaust education mandatory, which is mind blowing to me, because like, this is history, this should just be there. Um, yeah. What were some of the obstacles to getting something like this Past and and why did you think it was so important? Yeah,
1: so uh, I will I will start with why I think it was important and then the obstacles because the obstacles there's a lot of it. (laughs) Why (laughs) it's important truly, and it's not just because I'm Jewish and just because I care about the Jewish community. I do believe that teaching the youth and teaching the younger generation about the atrocities of the past will help us ensure that it will never happen again. Because especially children, they learn what you teach them. And if you teach these kids that it's okay to treat people um, wrong because of who they are, their race, their religion, their gender, whatever, I I think that creates a lot of problems. And for me knowing, and previously before we're running for office, sorry, I forgot to mention, I worked at the Jewish Federation. I had the wonderful opportunity of working with a lot of Holocaust survivors and the group here in Southern Arizona. Um, I used to be a docent at the Jewish History Museum here in Tucson. And it's just been a really big part of my life and kind of the work that I've done. And it was just like a natural thing for me to do, right? And I I just couldn't believe that there were so many younger people that did not know about the Holocaust. Like, I have colleagues who are in their 40s and 50s who are like, what? like what's the Holocaust? Like, what is this? And I'm like, have you lived under like a rock your entire life? Like, I'm so confused. And I think it, it comes from a sense of, okay, because I am so involved in the Jewish community and I know so many survivors and it's a really big part of history, you just assume common sense people would know, but they don't. Um, I I worked with the Holocaust survivors here in Arizona uh, to ensure that they were a big part of the process. So they were. Uh, They came to testify and it was a really meaningful experience. One of my former teachers from elementary school, she was my first grade teacher, um, Ms. Dolgoff, Teresa Dolgoff, she's a Holocaust survivor. And so for me, it was just like, how did these people not know about the Holocaust? Like my literally first grade teacher taught me about the Holocaust when I was in school. Um, she came to testify for my bill and that was so meaningful to me. Um, she came to testify not only knowing me my entire life, but also explaining to my colleagues why it was important to learn about the Holocaust. So it took us three years, um, it was difficult. The reason we didn't pass it right away was truly because of politics. We had people that were trying to hold the bill hostage for other political reasons. Uh, They were trying to convince me to go against my values and my morals to vote for things that I never in a million years would vote for and hold the Holocaust education over my head. Um, And I went to the survivors because on year two, we had two survivors that passed away during the process. And it's heartbreaking. You know, they, they work so hard. They want to see this come to fruition. And we were playing political games over something that shouldn't be controversial, right? And finally, I talked to the survivors and I said, what would you all like me to do? This is your bill. And they all literally told me to stay true to myself and that they could wait. And that to me was so meaningful because the fact that I had their support and them telling me, do not compromise your values, never lose who you are like, was probably one of the most impactful things in my life. Um, we got it done after year three. Um, sadly, two of the survivors, you know, have passed in the last two weeks. We've, we've now buried two survivors that helped me with this project. But it's now done. And now we know that in Arizona, every student that goes to school here will learn about the Holocaust between grade seven and grades 12 and, and their senior year of high school. They will have to learn about the Holocaust. And that, to me is very important. Regardless of how many years it took us, it finally got done. And it's it's very significant. And I think that that will help us create a safer community and create more respect among others.
0: Right. Like you said, we if we don't know what happened in the past, then, you know, we we're doomed to repeat it, as they say. Correct. And I'm curious what your experience with anti-semitism has been in your work especially in the context of trying to get a Holocaust education bill passed and you as a Jewish woman trying you know making all of these waves I I mean I I'm I'm gonna venture a guess and say that like nothing was ever overtly said but there are between the lines <laughs> things maybe like how, how has that been for you and for your family um you know as yeah. representatives in Arizona
1: Yeah, it's been difficult. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say that it was really easy and I had the full support of everyone. I I did not. Um, I have been accused of only doing, oh, her Jewish things. Um, Oh, she only cares about the Jews. That's all she ever talks about is the Jews. Um, I had a colleague that made comments on the floor like she's trying to take us back to Germany and like all of these just really inappropriate comments that were said by other elected officials um and people who were just like well it's not really important like you Jews already have like you already do all this you you control everything like why do you care now about like children's education right so that was very hurtful (laughs) I'm not I'm not gonna pretend it wasn't it definitely was hurtful and just it There was a point where you know I even I even got emails like very threatening emails from people. Um, It it got really bad at some point um, because at the same time we were we were looking at legislation around vaccines. This was like right during COVID, Mm. and people would come in shouting at me in committees, saying that I wanted to start another Holocaust that I'm trying to force children into concentration camps. Like using all of these really inappropriate. And just uncalled for uh, comments and statements that were being made towards me, and just watching and seeing that none of my colleagues ever stood up for me was really hard. Um, so yeah, it, it was difficult. You know, I've experienced anti-Semitism since the first day I announced I was running. Um, the first day that I announced I was running, David Duke somehow found out and um, set all of his trolls, you know, to to troll me on social media. That was tough. I got death threats. Um, it was it was a tough. It was a tough time, and I didn't really realize how bad it was until my sister decided to run for the legislature this past session, and people literally refused to sign her petition to get on the ballot because she was related to me. They were like, oh, well, we're not anti-Semitic, but, you know, your sister and, oh, your your guys' support for Israel, and that's literally why people refused to sign her petition to get on the ballot. And I didn't realize, I guess I didn't realize to the extent of how it affects the family until we actually were paying close attention this last election. Um, people just slamming doors in our face because, oh, they read an article that I wrote, or your sister, you know, said this about, about the Jewish community, and we just don't agree. So yeah, it, it definitely follows you. And it's difficult when your entire family is involved in politics. Um, I think it's a... Uh, Sometimes people say, "Oh, family should be off limits." Like, I don't think we should be going after my colleague's family, um, or any of my colleagues. Really, I think it's just wrong to go after people. But it makes it very interesting when it's people say it's it should be off limits, but then your entire family is in politics. Like, how is that off limits? Does that make sense? Right. Way? It's it's hard. So, yeah. You
0: know. You know. It, we kind of understand that, like, you don't talk about like someone's kids or something like that. But if your yeah. sister's a public figure. Than, and your brother. <laughs> right. And your brother. And yeah. like they're kind of fair game. So yeah. it gets it can get a little bit murky. Yeah. I I want to talk about death threats for a second. Yeah. You like you said, you had this experience where after you ran, David Duke, of all people, somehow found out, probably has like a Google yeah. alert for Jews or something. Right. And <laughs> um and and it got really nasty. Yes. Take me back to that time. What what was that like? And and how do you even yeah handle things like that
1: yeah so um it, it was really difficult because i i did have to go off social media for some time they had we had to get um the police involved and there was an investigation um we the southern poverty law center actually put it on one of the they, they were they were ensuring that they were doing their on their end like tracking all of this that was happening to me which I never in a million years thought the Southern Poverty Law Center would be involved in something like this, um, and it's because they realized that they were attacking me for being Mexican and Jewish, um, and that falls into the work that they do. So that was that was kind of like my, you know, I guess wake-up call that politics can be really dirty sometimes. Um, I think they thought that they would scare me, and I will be very honest, I was scared at the time it happened, and then I realized, you know, at the end of the day, I have to keep doing what I'm doing, and if their goal is to silence me, it's not going to happen, and I, it, it was a tough time the first week, week and a half, um, you know, in the family, we talked about potentially hiring, like, security, and we have to do all of that or on our own, that's not covered by the state, by by the way, um, and I just decided that I had to live my life, and not be in fear um and i just told my parents like you know it it, it, you you can't live in fear and i'm not just gonna stay at home because i'm terrified to go outdoors and at the end of the day if someone wants to do something they're gonna do something you're right but i i have i feel a very strong sense of like community and i quite honestly am not uh, it it was tough and i know that it would it really affected my parents i will say Um, yeah that must be to this day yeah, to this day, my mom still, you know, gets a lot of anxiety when I if I don't answer my call. By the way, I talk to my mom like ten times a day. I'm sure
0: you do too. <laughs> you did mention um, that you have a Jewish mother, correct? <laughs>
1: and that's like ten times a day, or it's not, it's not, uh, it's not okay. Um, if I don't answer my calls um, immediately, like there's a little bit of a sense of worry in the family. Um, you know, they they know where I'm. I'm at every time I'm home, at least in Arizona, in Tucson. They know where they can find me during Shabbat. Like, they know that I'm okay. They know I'll be fine. But it, it, it does bring a sense of, like, anxiety. You know, our, our synagogue was targeted uh, two years ago. We, we had our window, our door broken. And... Um, it, it just brought a lot of that also brought a lot of anxiety. So every time we're in services, we can't even have a, a gathering now without having police there, which is very difficult. <laughs> um, but all of those little things kind of add up and it brings some anxiety, but I, I have to keep telling myself I can't live in fear and I can't live my life like in my home hidden because I'm scared. Right. It's, it's... it was definitely
0: scary at the time. Yeah. I mean, it's, I've never experienced like a, a specific personal death threat. I mean, like trolls on the yeah. internet, but nothing like yeah. nothing insane. Um, and as a, as a Jewish person in America, you are... Like even, you know, we're recording this um the last week in February and even, you know, this Saturday has been declared like a national day of hate by some butthead somewhere. And yeah. like all of the synagogues are on really high alert and all of these community alerts are going out and, and all of that. And that, you know, definitely is anxiety provoking just like as someone For who sure. like my husband and my husband is, you know, he's in a synagogue at services every single week. I'm not, I like to sleep late, but the, the <laughs> I mean, when I can, um, yeah. you know, or, or, you know, I'm, I'm home with the family, but either way, the, um, the, that kind of fear that can sometimes exist around being Jewish. I think that a lot of times the best way that that is channeled is, well, you know what a neo-Nazi would really hate right now? Me just living my best life like that. Yeah. And that's, and that has been the way that I've kind of, you know, tried to, you know, that, that, that's my big F you. It's just, well, you know, I really think you wouldn't like a Jewish woman doing her thing. So that's what, that's what what motivates me. That's what
1: motivates me. And I know that's bad, but I'll give you a perfect example. Since we're on that topic. One of my, my best friend called me this morning. I literally saw him last late last night, drove back into Tucson late last night. And we just got off the phone right before I jumped on with you and he's, he's Hispanic he's Catholic, you know, the, his only connection to the Jewish community is really me mm-hmm. and, my, and my family. And he, he just, he was really quiet. And I was like, is everything okay? Because we usually are very loud and crazy with each other. And um, he said, friend, I'm really sad. And I said, why are you sad? And he said, because the first thing when I woke up, I saw on Instagram a video of the Jewish community in Florida being like harassed by like these Nazi guys. And of course, I saw the video yesterday, right? But unfortunately, we kind of become just like a little immune to these things. Like I'm like, oh, just another ass. Sorry, (laughs) another a hole. (laughs) That's appropriate. It's fine. (laughs) Another, another, you know, not nice. Sorry, a very not nice person just making another statement. That must make them feel really empowered, right? But he said something that really, like, kind of impacted me in a way because we hadn't really talked about it and he just said friend I'm really sorry and he said I feel really bad and I said oh I'm like well thank you so much for like calling me and telling me this like I really appreciate it um he just said it made me really sad that we're in 2023 and, and this is still happening and he said and that and it made me feel really sad and he's like and I'm just really sad right now and it just kind of made me feel and made me think in a way of so people do understand what it feels like, right? Right. (laughs) Like it, it sucks. And I I saw the videos yesterday and they were horrendous and it, it feels terrible. And even like what I always say, I'm like a Jew is a Jew regardless of where they are, where they live and what happens in Florida still has an effect on what happens in Arizona and people all over the world. And it is hurtful um, to see those things happen. And especially when the, you know, the community that's targeted the most is those that are very much, um, you, they can't hide that they're Jewish, you know, they're Orthodox and people target them and it's, it, it, it hurts. It, it's, it's crappy. And yeah. I do feel terrible about
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the kind of thing where, when you get that reaction from people who, outside the community like you said his only connection to to judaism is through you it kind of i think that we almost get used to it that like it's people have hated jews for a very long time and they will long (laughs) after you and i are both gone it's just part of the way of the world and realizing that like oh wait no that's not normal that's not a thing that we should accept that's not a thing that we should stand for um and having that outside view to kind of remind us of that um you're right it does it does make me a little sad but it also is it's it's a little bit of a different perspective and then you know when you think about anti-semitism and and all of that you like you mentioned earlier one of the uh, bills you had passed defined anti-semitism why do we need (laughs) definitions around these words like everyone just knows anti-semitism is not liking jews why is it important to to codify that
1: yeah, for several reasons. One, the way that the law that law enforcement looks at it, the way that it's viewed, um, and the way that statistics are are kind of like jotted down, right? So, if something happens currently in Arizona, we did not have a definition for anti-Semitism, which was very problematic because anytime anything happened in the Jewish community or a report was made, it just fell into like um, I fr- I forget what statute it, it was labeled as like harassment or something which is fine because essentially it is however no it is anti-semitism because someone's being targeted for being jewish like a we have several synagogues that have been vandalized here we have had rabbis walking on the street and had things thrown at them um for simply just being jewish um and that's problematic and if we can't label it as a hate crime that to me is really problematic if all we're saying oh it's like just harassment no, no no it's not just harassment like people are actively going after jews because they're jews and you don't see people going after catholics because they're catholics and you don't see people going after like christians because they're christian right like it, it's a problem and when it's not defined in statute and it's not defined by law it makes it very difficult for us to actually prosecute and really charge people with anything like you can simply just charge someone for like you know, harassment or, or assault, yes. But it's different when you're able to charge someone with a hate crime. And vandalizing a synagogue, burning things, vandalizing people's cars and homes because they're Jewish, that is more than just harassment. And there needed to be a clear definition. So, yeah, you know, it, we had to separate separate it from my Ho- Holocaust education bill at the beginning, they wanted to add the IRA definition to that, which I, I completely um, support and agree the definition. So we did it separately, just so that we could pass that bill completely unanimously, as the survivors deserved. And we would have to fight another battle on fighting on defining anti-Semitism, right? So that that's why it was important to me uh, to ensure that it's defined and that you know, our detectives and uh, anytime we see the report, the yearly reports from law enforcement, we actually know what crimes are being committed against Jews and why. Right. Like we we will know that if it's something that was classified as anti-Semitism, it's anti-Semitism um, rather than just a hate crime or sorry, rather than just like harassment, because right. we know so it's can, different.
0: Yeah. So you can get a, a feel for if the issue is improving or we're not right. and and what needs to be done in that area.
1: That's exactly why. And I mean, we had law enforcement who were asking us. They were like, currently in Arizona was one of the few states that didn't define it. So they, you know, if they were called to a synagogue for an incident that happened, they would just have to label it as like anything else. And they were like, we know it's not that. So, yeah, I think it was just to clear up and make, I guess, for the legal system and legal purposes, make it more clear as to how that would be looked at by the courts or by by the judges. And that's why they did it.
0: Right, it's, it's these kinds of things, like we don't think about the importance of, like you said, statistics, but that's how things change when we, you know, if you don't identify a problem, then you can't address it. Correct. So yeah. you mentioned that you're full-time in law school and I'd love to hear yeah. <laughs> from you, which is like blows my mind because hi, like being in a legislature is a full-time job. But either way, I'm curious for you. You know, I know that you entered that you entered the um, Arizona Legislature when you were super young. You are still super young, and <laughs> and w- professionally, where are you hoping to go? Like, what's what are, what are your plans here? What do you what are you looking to accomplish?
1: Yeah, so I'll say I just want to share one thing. One of my biggest inspirations and one of my mentors, um, her name is Hannah Goldstein, and she is one of she is like the baddest attorney here in Arizona. I love her, and I actually met her through her husband who's a rabbi, but she is an amazing example of what you could be in reality if you want to accomplish something. She's a mother of many children. Um, She's a rabbi's wife. (laughs) She works for one of the top law firms in the nation. Um, she is just amazing. And she's still very much true to her Jewish values. She's orthodox and she does everything she she wants to do. Right. So she was a great example to me. And I she also went to school uh, when she was a little older. Um, I know I say older. It's relative. Laugh, right? And they're like, yeah, but it, it is when you have, you know, a whole other life aside from that. Right. Um, so she was actually one of my she's been helping me all throughout this process. And there are days when I get on the on the phone with her or on Zoom, because she lives in Phoenix and I've gone up to see her just to help me. Um, and sometimes I just sit on the phone and I just need someone to talk to that can relate. And she's that person. She's like, it's going to be okay. Like, you ha- you got this. Like, you know, very supportive, in, both emotionally and just spiritually, because she, she helps me get back into it, right? Um, but yeah, I decided I wanted to go to law school because I was working as a professor at Arizona State University for three years, teaching health policy, even though that was always kind of a dream and a goal. Um, I said, why not law school? I've already done a master's in law and economics. Might as well. I have nothing to lose. So I applied last year and I got in and I said, okay, now I don't know how I'm going to accomplish this. And just in natural Alma like world, I just said, we'll figure it out. And that means I commute four hours a day um, so that I can go to class in the morning. Um, I Dude. then get to the Capitol. Yeah. It's brutal. I then get to the Capitol and then come back. So my sister is now, as I mentioned, elected cool. as well. So we work together. I will drive up so she could work. And then she drives back in the evening so that I can study and read on my way home. And it's just a repeat every day. And that's a commitment and a decision I made to hopefully be able to further my political career uh, so that I can be financially stable. (laughs) And when I decide I no longer want to do the legislature, I have something else to fall back on. And it was just something that I I felt that I, I needed to do for myself. So yes, it is definitely hard. Um, It's a lot of work. It's a huge commitment. But at the end of the day, I really want to do it because I want to be able to have the legal background and not only defend my community but also do things to help others. And that's really why why I'm doing law school right now. It's not easy. It's very stressful but at the end of the day uh, you know nothing in life is easy <laughs> and my life has literally been a journey since i was born so might as well just add more things to it so you know it's been it's been quite the
0: quite the challenge though
1: it and i has. wish
0: you the the best and all of the luck with it i mean that is such a huge commitment to take on especially with everything else that you have going on and I love how you called it a fallback plan which is awesome I think that I think that like that more than anything shows the type of person that you are who is just not afraid of a challenge that law school is like whatever my plan b it'll be fine Um, so yeah I, I that's that speaks to me from a from an overworking person's uh, oh, yeah. from one overworking person's heart to another I yeah. <laughs> I, I, I totally feel it the, I can't believe that our time is wrapping up now this is oh wow, been, I didn't even notice <laughs> yeah it, this has been yeah. so lovely and it's always so great to get to speak to people who are doing things totally different from me and and just learning more about your world if somebody wants to learn more about you um, or you know be in touch where can they go
1: Yeah, of course. And by the way, I am very accessible. I literally respond to everyone. Um, They can either follow me on Instagram. It's Rep A. Hernandez on Instagram. I have a Twitter. I'm very active on both. Um, I also have Facebook, but apparently only like the not cool older people use Facebook now. We won't won't mention it. We won't give you away. (laughs) Right? Yeah. (laughs) But you can also find my political page on there. But on Twitter, I'm for arizona um, and yeah, so I'm happy to answer any questions for folks that can message me at any time. And I, I want to thank you for your time, too, and for allowing people like me to have an opportunity to share our stories and a platform to do so. And thank you for everything
0: that you do, too. My pleasure. And this, like I said, this has been such a lovely conversation. We end every talk here with the same question, and that is to you, Representative Alma Hernandez, what does it mean to make an impact?
1: To me, making an impact really means that you are able to help someone in a way that they will always remember you. And that for me is something that, you know, people, like I mentioned earlier in my talk, like having the Holocaust survivor who was my teacher in first grade, she made an impact in my life and it turned into something positive because I was able to help do something that she in like dreamed of having seen done. And I, I just, you know, it's pe- those people that leave an impact and imprint on your life. Um, that, that to me is is what it means to to leave an impact.
0: I love that. Thank you so much for coming on today, Alma. I Thank really you. appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Alma, her links are in the show notes. On the last episode, I spoke with Miriam Shulman. She shares her story of becoming an artist and turning her art into a business and book. Listen to it wherever you're hearing this one. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of Impact Fashion, the clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 19 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org recalcitrant-parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rivki Itzgwitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.nyc. As always, here's to making an impact together.